This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This is True Crime Psychology and Personality where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in counselor education and supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the case of Ethan Couch? Another question here would be, what is the affluenza defense? So first I'll start with the background in this case. I'll move to the timeline of the crime, then offer my analysis. Ethan Couch was born in Tarrant County, Texas on April 11, 1997. His mother's name was Tanya. She had been a nurse until her license was revoked. His father's name was Fred. He started a metal roofing company in 1986. Ethan was raised in a suburb of Fort Worth, Texas and attended private school. When he was 13 years old, he started driving himself to that school. When his father was questioned about that activity, like the staff at the school didn't approve of that, he threatened to purchase the school. His father removed Ethan from that school and sent him to another school until Ethan was 15. At that point, Ethan went to a community college. Around that same time, when Ethan was still 15, he was caught in a pickup truck with a 14-year-old girl. She was both unconscious and not wearing any clothes. He pleaded no contest to charges related to consuming and possessing alcohol. He was given probation, 12 hours of community service, and he had to go to class on alcohol awareness. It would appear as though he was already aware of alcohol, which was part of the problem. Before we get to the timeline of the crime, let's hear a word from the sponsor for today's video. Hello Fresh. Get mouth-watering seasonal recipes and fresh pre-measured ingredients delivered right to your door with Hello Fresh, America's number one meal kit. Hello Fresh makes cooking at home fun, easy, and affordable. Hello Fresh has more five-star recipes than any other meal kit, so you know you'll get something delicious. With Hello Fresh, produce gets to you faster than a grocery store, so it arrives at peak freshness and flavor. HelloFresh cuts out stressful meal planning and prepping so you can enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in just about 30 minutes or even 20 minutes with their quick and easy options. HelloFresh's pre-portioned ingredients mean there's less prep for you and less wasted food. HelloFresh is flexible. Add extra dinners or lunches to your weekly order, throw in extra proteins, or add in yummy meal compliments like HelloFresh's best-selling garlic bread. Easily change your delivery days or food preferences and skip a week whenever you need. Go to HelloFresh.com and use code DRGRANDE12 to get 12 free meals, including free shipping. Again, get 12 free meals at HelloFresh.com with the code DRGRANDE12. Now moving to the timeline of the crime. On June 15, 2013, Ethan is 16 years old this time. He had still not complied with his sentence from possessing alcohol, 
when he and his friends entered a Walmart and stole three cases of beer. Ethan then climbs into a 2012 F-350 pickup truck, which was owned by his father's business. There were seven teenage passengers in that vehicle. Two of them were riding in the bed. About an hour later, Ethan was driving at 70 miles per hour on a two-lane road with a speed limit of 40 miles per hour. On this road, a woman named Brianna Mitchell had been driving her Mercury Mountaineer, an SUV, when a tire blowout caused her to hit a mailbox. Nearby residents, Holly Boyles and her daughter Shelby Boyles, came out to help Mitchell. A man named Brian Jennings also stopped to render assistance, parking his pickup truck near the SUV. His two children were inside that pickup truck. As Ethan approached the area where Mitchell's vehicle was stopped, he swerved off the road and slammed into her SUV before colliding with Jennings' truck. The truck then collided with a Volkswagen Beetle with two occupants that was on the roadway. The F-350 operated by Ethan then flipped over and collided with a tree. Four people were killed in the collision, Mitchell, Jennings, and Holly and Shelby Boyles. The two children in Jennings' truck and the two occupants of the Volkswagen Beetle survived. Ethan survived, as did his seven passengers. One was paralyzed. Ethan's blood alcohol content was not measured until three hours after the collision. It was 0.24%. He also had diazepam and cannabis in his system. He was arrested and charged with four counts of intoxication manslaughter and two counts of intoxication assault. His guilt was never really in dispute. Clearly, he was intoxicated, and he caused the collision. The issue was really about his sentencing. A mental health professional testified for the defense, claiming Ethan had affluenza. That is, his parents taught him that wealth buys privilege. Therefore, he was unable to understand that his actions had consequences. Ethan was sentenced to probation. He was required to receive mental health treatment at a facility in Texas. He was not allowed to consume substances, and he was forbidden from driving. Prosecutors were hoping he would be sentenced to 20 years in prison. So the sentence he received was quite a disappointment. It involved zero prison time. The treatment was very expensive, perhaps as high as $450,000 a year. His parents were going to cover the costs. On December 11, 2015, a video was posted online that appeared to feature Ethan Couch at a party consuming alcohol. His probation officer tried to contact him unsuccessfully. Ethan's mother, Tanya, withdrew $30,000 from her bank account and called Ethan's father, Fred, telling him she would never see him again. What a loving and committed relationship they must have had. Ethan Couch and Tanya Couch then fled to Mexico. The authorities would detain Ethan and his mother in Mexico on December 28, 2015. They found them because they ordered Domino's pizza using a cell phone. I guess the phone was registered to one of them. To be fair, once they ordered Domino's pizza, they were in trouble either way. They were either going to get arrested or the pizza would arrive. Kind of a lose-lose scenario. Ethan and his mother were both deported to the United States and placed under arrest. On April 13, 2016, Ethan was sentenced to 720 days in jail. That sentence took care of everything. The charges in connection with the collision, the violation of probation, fleeing to another country. Not even two years for all those crimes. He would be released on April 2, 2018. On January 2, 2020, he was sent back to jail. 
He had allegedly violated probation due to failing a drug test. The test came up positive for THC. He was released a day later because of uncertainty about what the test was actually detecting. That is, they weren't sure if he had consumed marijuana or CBD oil. As I understand it, at the time making this video, Ethan Couch is free. Now moving to my analysis. The key question surrounding this case seems to be related to affluenza, the sense of entitlement that in theory can be learned by having permissive parents. Is this real? Is this an actual defense? Or is it a reason to put offenders in prison for longer? We know Ethan's parents did not appear to be the best role models. For example, they had numerous run-ins with the law. His mother, Tanya, pleaded guilty in connection with forcing a driver off of the road in 2003. She was charged with hindering the apprehension of a felon and money laundering in connection with that trip to Mexico. And while waiting trial, she failed a drug test and ended up in jail in April of 2019. Ethan's father was charged with assault after he punched a contractor in 1999. In 2014, he was charged with falsely identifying himself as a police officer. Now, Tanya and Fred would divorce in 2017. In 2019, Fred was charged with assault after allegedly choking his girlfriend. Ethan did not have a lot of structure growing up. There didn't appear to be any boundaries whatsoever. Ethan could do whatever he wanted. Let's take a look at the history of affluenza. The term is actually used in two different ways. The original meaning was a social problem that results when people continually desire to be wealthier, more powerful, and more successful. It's kind of like a commitment to materialism. This desire can lead to anxiety, isolation, and ultimately, unhappiness. In more recent years, it has come to mean a condition that comes about from being wealthy, which results in a sense of entitlement, laziness, and inability to experience shame, and a failure to understand consequences. The idea behind affluenza is a few hundred years old, although the first usage of that term was thought to be in the 1950s. It really didn't become popular until it was the topic of a PBS documentary in 1997. Affluenza was originally conceptualized as a broad social issue and not something that could lead to criminality in one particular individual. It was more about the gap between those who are poor and those who are wealthy. Is that a good idea? Is it helpful for anyone? Or is it destructive? It was a problem for people to consider at a high level as they develop policy to shape society. When the mental health professional working for the defense introduced the idea that Ethan Couch had affluenza, that clinician was taking a term that was historically sociological and economic and hijacking it in an attempt to make it fit into a counseling and legal context. There is no research on affluenza related to that purpose. So what the clinician did was really out of left field. It took everybody by surprise. There is no scientific reason to believe that the symptoms of affluenza tend to group together in a way that justifies it being an independent diagnostic classification. So affluenza is not actually a disorder. It's not in the DSM or the ICD. It's just a construct that was misused in the case of Ethan Couch. Now, just because affluenza has not been studied too much does not mean that parents should be permitted to be negligent. I think that's what this case is really about. It's about spreading the blame about holding parents accountable. 
somebody caused that collision that killed four people. Who was it? How can that blame be divided? Should parental negligence result in parents in a situation like this being charged? If Ethan Couch never learned about consequences, if he was given everything, if he was all but told to break the law, is that a defense? Does he have a point? Here are my thoughts. If somebody in Ethan Couch's situation was completely isolated by his parents, like he never went outside, he never met anybody else other than his parents, and on top of this, he was taught only antisocial values, I would say there would be some type of a defense, which essentially argues, hey, my parents were so awful, they didn't teach me right from wrong or how to obey the law. They didn't give me the basic skills necessary to stay lawful in society. But that's not what happened in this case. Ethan Couch went to school. He had friends. At some point, he must have gone to the DMV to get his driver's license. During that process, DMV workers would have told him, we're giving you this license contingent on you agreeing to obey the law. Even though I would give Ethan's defense team an A for creativity, if someone cannot connect actions with consequences, how is that an argument for not giving them consequences? If anything, it seems like the consequences would be necessary. Based on the crimes that Ethan committed, I think that prison time made sense in his case. The prosecution only asked for 20 years. Intoxication manslaughter carries a possible sentence of two to 20 years per offense. So if the sentences were to run consecutively, that could be eight years to 80 years, because again, four people died in the collision. The prosecution was being more generous to Ethan than I would have been. I think a much more reasonable sentence would have been 32 years, eight years for each person Ethan killed. As if the original sentence of no jail time was not shocking enough, later we see that Ethan defies the court. He returns to substance use and tries to escape. Does he get 20 years at that point? Does the judge realize the mistake and say, okay, now this person needs to go to prison? No. Ethan is sentenced to less than two years, and he is freed after that. Ethan was 16 when he offended. After 20 years in prison, he would have been 36. He would have learned a lot and had time to really think about his behavior without having access to substances. If you sentenced to 32 years, you get even 12 years beyond that to continue learning and growing. I think that would have been the best thing for Ethan Couch. One can make the argument that consequences are the treatment for affluenza. He was cheated out of the punishment that he needed and deserved. Now moving to my last item. The world of mental health counseling and related fields contains a lot of theories that are not testable or that have never been tested. It is an environment where it's easy for a clinician to make claims in court that are impossible to prove or disprove. Just like we shouldn't believe prosecution experts when they say that a defendant didn't act right when they heard bad news, like in a homicide case, we shouldn't listen to clinicians who take sociological constructs and apply them to individuals without any backing from research. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa Vita Brevis. Something is creeping in. Don't follow it down. Let me 
introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. The type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy. And you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. She stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S.